Today's episode is brought to you by Canvas. Do you know how long it takes you to measure and model an as-built? Probably more time than you'd like. Canvas replaces hours of manual measuring with a few minutes of scanning with your iPhone or iPad. And Canvas eliminates the hours, if not days, of taking your measurements and turning them into a 3D as-built or 2D floor plan, all for pennies per square foot. You can try Canvas for free and download it at www.canvas.io and make sure to use promo code BF23. That's www.canvas.io and promo code BF23. All right, now back to the show. Hey, I'm Spencer Powell, and welcome to Remodeler Stories, where we highlight remodelers. Every remodeler has a unique story and journey, and we can all learn from each other. Stay tuned for a mix of inspiration, tactical tips, unique strategies, and some laughter. The remodeling business is tough, but rewarding, and we're all in this together. Let's kick this thing off. Before we get into today's show, let's talk about our show sponsor, Remodeler Growth Community. Remodeler Growth Community is a peer-to-peer networking group exclusively for remodelers. For a low monthly fee, you get access to some of the best minds in the industry, life-changing business strategies, and the ability to connect and learn from people who've walked the path you walk. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back, so there's absolutely no risk to you. Go to remodelercommunity.com to enroll today. Today, I sit down with Dan Aslison of Peacock and Company. They were founded in 1984 with a focus on bespoke home additions. Since then, they have delighted hundreds of Michiana homeowners with quality craftsmanship and stunning designs that enhance the beauty, function, and value of their homes. Now for my conversation with Dan of Peacock and Company. Hey, Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Spencer. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited for today. But give everyone a little bit of context. Who are you? What's the company and where are you located? Sure. My name is Dan Asselson. I'm the owner and president of Peacock and Company, and we are located in South Bend, Indiana. And so we serve North Central Indiana and Southwest Michigan. Right on. Yeah. So take us back to the beginning. How did the company start and how'd you get into all this? Sure. I'll give you two beginnings. Sweet. Uh, first, Peacock and Company started in 1984. Our founder, uh, his name is Scott Peacock, saw a need in the market to start to do higher end remodeling. Started in sunrooms and and small additions like that. But I think he really took you know any opportunity that came to him to show uh, his approach and the quality. And so he founded the company in 1984 and led the company up until. 2018, at which point my wife and I bought Peacock and Company. So our start with the company is is just about five years ago. Probably when this comes out, it'll be right at the five-year mark. And so we started five years ago, but the company's been around since 1984. Very cool. Yeah. So well, I'm curious, that actually is a less common route into is you know buy, buying a company just because a lot of remodeling companies don't successfully get sold. So I'm curious... Why did you want to make the shift and, and why buy a remodeling company versus something else? <laughs> right. Well, it's this is a, a common question I get. And I, I think one, my wife was in the industry. She owns and operates a interior design company called Maple and White Design. She founded that about 10 years ago. So she was in the space and kept getting clients asking her for recommendations on general contractors. 
and you hear all the horror stories. So I'd, she'd come back from work and, you know, be telling me about these horror stories. Oh, so-and-so, the contractor ghosted them, their contractor, you know, started the project, but then stopped showing up. I mean, all, all the, the tropes that you hear. And so her clients started asking her, you know, to do projects. So they'd say, well, we want to do a bathroom. Okay, well, who's your general contractor? And they'd look at her and be like, we just want you to take care of it. She did some general contracting, kind of dipping her toe in the water, lining up subs and doing that. And it, it just was not something she was interested in. So we had talked about maybe going out on her own. I was working in nonprofit executive leadership at the time. So I had business acumen and, and you know, some skills there and thought, you know, I, I'll get a truck and, you know, I can, I can do this. And at the same time, we learned that Peacock and company, the founder was looking to retire and the company had a great reputation, had worked in my in-laws house, a lot of our friends. And so started the, the negotiations there to, to acquire the company as our founder retired, but it definitely is a different route, right? Most of my colleagues started as either a carpenter or a designer and then grew their business organically. I'd like to think I'm a testament to what a lot of us hope to, to, to have someday, which is a successful transfer that not only the legacy and carries forward the, the entity, but also captures the value for the, the owner that spent all the time, you know, building and investing, you know, blood, sweat and tears in the business. So not the, the typical route, but I, I still love what I do. And, and I think it gives me a bit of an advantage in some ways. I, I tell people I'm not a carpenter and I'm not a designer. So, you know, I leave that to the pros and uh, make sure that, you know, I'm doing everything I can to foster an environment where we get craftspeople and designers that are are going to bring a lot of value to the projects. And I try to stay out of the way. And, and so I get to work on the business more than in the business, which is a luxury that not everybody is able to, to create. Yeah, I'd imagine there's several advantages there. You're almost forced to work on the business because you don't have the skill of being in it. And so you can't get distracted by that. You have to focus on the other areas. But I'm curious to hear a little bit more about just that first year and kind of the transition and maybe any like early lessons learned, that sort of thing. (laughs) Yeah, I think baptism by fire, right? Like when you buy an ongoing concern, there's not really a ramp up period, right? So all staff meeting, our founder, you you know, has all all 20 people out in the warehouse, you know, 7.45 a.m. on like a Tuesday. And he just says, hey, I'm retiring today. This is the new guy. (laughs) You know, I brought some donuts. And and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but it might've been that brief of, of announcement. I just look at everybody and say, hey, I'm not a carpenter and I'm not a designer. I'm counting on you guys, you know, to carry this forward. I'm looking forward to meeting everybody, but you know, it's almost eight o'clock. Homeowners are expecting you. So, you know, there's not really a like a ramp, a, an easy on-ramp to that. Fortunately, you know, we had a we have a real strong team here and 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 the team, you know, went to the job site that day and they met with clients that day and and things just, you know, grew from there. But you know, a couple of things that I learned early on. One, how important understanding your fully burdened labor rate is. The rate that we were using when we acquired the business just wasn't dialed in. And so we kept scratching our heads wondering why you know, our jobs are hitting budget, but our gross margin isn't matching up to what we think it should be. And so that was a big key insight. That was one of those, you don't know what you don't know sort of thing. I joined Remodelers Advantage just a few months into it. And, and so just took advantage of all the resources that 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 organization provides. And that was one of the first things someone 
And my peer group looked at it and like, well, is that right? I'm like, I don't know. You go back and you recalculate it. Like, no, it's off by 20% or something. So, so labor burden was huge. Getting my head wrapped around that was an early lesson learned. Fortunately, you know, kind of once you get that dialed in, it, it's a pretty easy fix. So that was a, that was a, a big thing in that first year was just, you know, making sure I understood how to set the margins up, how to estimate you know, correctly to support the kind of business that I wanted to have and to be able to invest in the, the team and the equipment and the marketing and all those pieces. So that that was probably the, the biggest lesson of the first year. Yeah, yeah, that's a big one and a good good change to make early, as early as you can. I'm curious too, just that transition from, I think you said non, nonprofit world to like business ownership. Any just like shockers there or things that were unexpected or did you kind of know because you know of your wife and kind of her her business and everything kind of what you were walking into I don't mean this to sound derogatory towards our industry but it's a lot easier than the nonprofit world that I left in a, in a couple of ways in a couple of good ways so I, I worked for the YMCA and love that organization but it's a it's a multifaceted organization they're doing youth development work they're doing healthy living work they're doing work in social responsibility so at any given day I was trying to figure out how to keep kids safe at a summer camp that are riding horses and, you know, diving off of a a tower into a lake. At the same time, I've got, you know, two-year-olds that are in childcare, and then I've got adult population health. You know, how do we reduce diabetes in our community, right? And so there were always so many things going on that were just completely different skill sets, right? Trying to teach someone to swim versus you know, how to eat healthy versus keep a building clean versus fix a filter in a pool. And what we do is is more singularly focused, right? There's all the same challenges with strategy, people, marketing, communications, trust and integrity, you know, client relations exist. But I found it refreshing just to be able to focus on delivering one product really well. And so that part of the transition was was good. Now, again, a lot of things I I didn't know about the industry, but I think I, I you know, I had the confidence coming into it that with the team we had, you know, I could count on them to to be professionals in their areas and that I'd be able to add value just from having that outsider's perspective. And I think that's how it's played out. Hopefully, my team would say that that you know, they're given the space to deliver on what they do best and that the areas that I've gotten involved with have been accretive to the success of the business and not some dopey guy that doesn't know anything about construction coming in and moving everybody's cheese, so to speak. Yeah. I find sometimes coming just any industry transfer from one to another, you can see the opportunities, like things that you did here, you can apply them differently over here, but sometimes it's not being done over here. It's not normal. And, or in your case, like there's, you know, you just had such a diversity of things that you're having to, to solve. Hey guys, I know that if you listen to Builder Funnel Radio, you are hyper aware of the fact that the way people shop and buy, it's changed dramatically over the years. And for the last 10 years, really since I started doing all this, helping my uncle's remodeling division scale up from about 2 million to 10 million, We've been helping remodelers and builders and contractors all over the country really refine their marketing systems. And I recently decided to kind of bottle all of that up into my first book. And that book is called The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. And you can pick up a copy by going to the website, remodelermarketingblueprint.com. You can also search for it on Amazon or 
wherever books are sold online. But I highly recommend you go over to the website because we've got some cool book bonuses that go along with that if you pick up a few extra copies for your friends and colleagues or your teammates. So it would mean a lot to me if you've been listening to this podcast for a while or even just a few episodes, if you've ever gotten any value out of it, head over to remodelermarketingblueprint.com and snag your copy today. All right, let's get back to the show. I'm curious, since you bought the business up till now, have you made any major changes? Because the business was in existence for for quite some time. And I would imagine they got into a rhythm routine, but have you made any significant pivots or changes since? Yeah, a couple of things that have been major. One that works very well for us, I think, and one that offered a lot of good lessons. So a few years back, we we launched a handyman division. I have a great staff leader that took on that role and and she gave it her all. And it was at a time when we just couldn't, this, the hiring environment was so tight that we just couldn't get the right fit of, uh, of carpenters to, to fill those slots. That was a change. We tried to add a new business unit and, you know, despite all of our best efforts, just couldn't make that work. I think, you know, we were able to do some, some good service for our existing clients and bring some new people into the, to the family, so to speak, but we just couldn't deliver consistently on the results. So that was a, that was a big change. That was a lesson there and how important, you know, having the right team is. I think the other big thing that we, we've changed and have had more success with being more intentional valuing our design side of the company. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of design build companies like ours, you know, know what the value of the build site is and can price that in and don't apologize for that. But they undervalue the design side. And I think that's something that we we looked at and said, you know, this is a service that is valuable and we're going to start charging for that. So about a year and a half ago, we implemented changing our design process where, you know, we're presenting to clients the opportunity to partner with us up front and invest in the design as a, a part of it. So we've started charging for the design work. And that's helped us, you know, really make sure that the clients that we're working with are clients that we're going to be building for, you know, whereas before we would have almost been speculating, you know, hey, we'll do design for 10 people and maybe four of them will get to build. Now we're designing for 10 people and building 10 people. So that that's, it was a little bit of a, a, a shift. It was quite a bit of a shift internally, right? You know, I think everybody went through the, the phases of like, well, what if this doesn't work or no one's going to pay us for this. And I think once, it, it, but all the designers, I just kept telling them like your your time is is valuable here, right? And so if you're spending sixty percent of your design time on projects that we're never going to build, that's time that you're you're kind of spinning your wheels. And so that that was probably the biggest shift we've made is is really valuing that design design time up front as a as a, a service that's valuable to the client. And I think that's helped us in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's definitely a good change. What do you think's been one of the most rewarding parts of buying the business and running it. I'll give you know two two angles to that. You know, personally it's it's I think really been a great way to contribute back to the community. It's given me some some space and some some resources to to volunteer and connect with nonprofits that matter to me and my family. And I think it's given me a, a good space to kind of demonstrate what entrepreneurship looks like to our kids. So that's that's been very rewarding. I think internally or more professionally, 
I would say it's, I love being an employer. I don't know how else to put it, right? Like we've got 22 people on the team here. I try my best to, to put their interests ahead of mine and, and, and ahead of the companies and, you know, try to provide good benefits and health insurance and, and matching retirement and, you know, paid time off and company swag. And I find a lot of joy in, you know, being in a role that provides an opportunity for people that hopefully are doing what they love doing. So that's been really rewarding. And I guess if there's a third angle, it's, you know, we've done work with friends and, and people that we know. And as sappy as it sounds, Spencer, like when we're working on someone's master bathroom and I know they're, they're kids, I'm thinking like someday you're going to be teaching your son how to tie his tie before a homecoming dance in that bathroom, right? Like you're standing in that mirror. You can imagine it, right? Like you're kind of reaching around. Well, no, this is how you do it. I mean, life's most beautiful moments happen in kitchens and bathrooms, right? And I know that sounds so hokey, but you probably went to your parents' house and had Thanksgiving last week and sat in the kitchen and everybody communed in that space. And that's where people grieve when you know sad things happen too. So I, I've, I found a lot of gratification in just knowing that the spaces that we're helping people create are, are meaningful spaces for those special moments in the family that they happen. Right. And that's, that's been very rewarding. Super powerful. And it's interesting to hear you list those three examples because two of them just happened for me. You know, you mentioned Thanksgiving. Well, a few weeks ago, my grandfather passed and I went up and I was with my parents in the kitchen. We were grieving there. And then we also just recently had Thanksgiving in the kitchen. And so I don't know, it, maybe it's hokey to some people, but it, it is reality. It is truth, mm-hmm. right? That is where those memories are created and where events happen and, you know, homework is done and, you know, right. all of those things. So yeah, I'm oh, gonna, that's I'd super cool. Tearing up if we talk too much about oh, it. Oh, I know. Yeah. I got to move on quick. That's yeah. <laughs> I had to transition to Thanksgiving quickly because it's, it's pretty fresh, but yeah, I, I guess, you know, shifting more to like, that's the rewarding side, but obviously entrepreneurship brings challenges and, you know, those types of things. What do you think has been one of the tougher parts of growing a business, running a business, you know, that you've faced in the last several years? Yeah, well, I, I talked a little bit about labor burden and just making sure that you've got all the inputs dialed in. I think there's certainly, there's a couple areas that I think have, I've had to kind of work through. One is to, to try not to take it personally, right? You know, we, we try to build processes and procedures that help us navigate the circumstances we're getting into. And if something goes wrong and a, and a client's not satisfied with, with the way things are going, to I've had to work hard not to internalize that and think, you know, there there's something that I've inherently, you know, done. It's hard, but that's you know, that's that's one area where it's it's like you, you have to remind yourself in this industry that, you know, not to take it personally, right? You're you're in you're working in these intimate spaces like we just talked about and that can be very stressful for people and so that's that's one thing that I've worked through and tried to model to the staff as well as, you know, let's be empathetic to that position and and look through their lens and then try to figure out the best path forward. I think, you know, another area that's that's been a, an eye-opener is is labor and, you know, trying to attract and retain a strong staff. You know, I especially these last couple of years post-COVID where someone, you know, just lit a fire and everything, you, you know, just rocketed off. So that's been a, a challenge. I think we've navigated that uh, well, but still that's, you know, if you're asking me what might keep me up at night, there's... You know, that's one area where it's like, you know, how do we keep the 
the team that we've got because we've got a great team. And I tell, you know, people at the review during the review process, like if I could keep this team till I retired, I, I would. So how do you keep who you've got? And then when we need to, to attract, how do we, you know, make sure that we're attracting people that, that not only fit our expectations of quality, but also are a good fit for a team. So that that's probably the other area that, you know, I've really needed to, to focus on and has been a struggle from time to time. Yeah. The, the people part is so challenging. I mean, it's just, and it's yeah, ongoing, and, you know, and every ongoing. business book that I've ever read, you know, has the same thing, right? You can probably think of a, a 50 examples of how they characterize that, but in the end, you know, it's people and culture, right? Like those are yeah. the, the things that, that matter. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. So any like crazy projects, wacky client stories, interesting projects that have come up, anything coming to mind that you can share? I'm fairly obsessed with hidden doors. And mm. you, you, I went to KBiz a few years back and there was like, what? You, I don't know if you've ever been to, to KBiz, but you know, you've got these massive spaces of vendors. Yeah. And somehow I was wandering around and I just saw this tiny little vendor that sold like hidden door hardware, right? Like where you can rig up a bookshelf or something that, you know, and so I was like, man, we got to got to work this in design. So I, you know, I come back to the team, our design team, I'm telling our, our, our lead designer about it. I'm off. I'm like, man, this, how do we do this? Like, it just seems awesome. And so that was, I mean, probably three or four years ago, we're, we're just finally working on a project now where there is a, a hidden door. And I was so excited about it. I'm like, <laughs> and I was worried that they weren't going to want to do it. So I'm like, let's, cause it was an option. I'm like, let's just do it at cost. Like I'm totally willing to eat the margin on this just so we can have the opportunity to put this in. Cause I'm so like I'm just excited about the the prospect of it. So it's it's a weird little kind of obsession, but yeah, that's that's one that's that's really exciting. It's like happening now. At some point, you know, I'm, we're going to send our photographer out. We're going to you know have these great shots for our website of of this hidden door, and and, and I think that the homeowners are are as excited about it as as I am. But I think our staff team internally probably has rolled their eyes enough. <laughs> keep bringing it up, like oh maybe we could do a hidden door here, and they're like, come on, Dan, let's on, let's yeah. get real. Yeah. So where, I mean, can you talk about like where, where it is or how it's going to play out? No, because it's a secret, right? Like, no, Fair enough. I think it's like, a, it's like a bookshelf type bookshelf, uh, opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Where, and I think it's one of those where, and now our, 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 I'm so excited about it and I don't know all the details, but I, I believe it's one of those setups where you can basically infill like a closet door with like a bookshelf and it looks like a bookshelf, but that it, it opens up and reveals the closet behind it. So that's cool. You know, from inside the room, it'll look like a built-in bookshelf, but you know, it's, it's hiding what's behind there. And there are, there are several vendors now that would make, you know, kits that, that, you know, help convert that. And so I'm excited about it. That's, that's yeah. one of our, our more interesting projects here recently. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I got a couple questions to wrap us up. Where are you guys trying to go in the next three to five years? You know, what's the vision look like? Yeah, I think one thing I want to get really good at being this size company. I think there's a there's a one of our facilitators and remodelers advantage, Michael Hodgkins is his name. I sat in on a session maybe three year three or four years ago, and he talked about the growth of his company. He basically illustrated like a stair step approach, like. We grew to here and then we spent a couple of years getting really good at that. And then we grew and then we spent a couple of years. And he compared that to kind of the, the driven approach of like, if you're not growing, you're dying, right? Like, so every year you got to take as big of a leap as you can. And I think coming out of COVID and the growth we had, you know, because of the surge in demand, and then you complicate that with the challenges of the pandemic and staff and health. 
and all the logistics. I'd like to just get really good at being this size. So not necessarily looking for top significant top line growth, but how do we get better at the processes? And so I think one of those for us is is just improving on how we schedule and lay out a job and considering taking the step of being more transparent with that with our our customers. You know, we plan things out internally, but I think there's a lot of fear of, you know, if we share this with the client, the third day when things go off track, they're not understanding that we have to 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 make a pivot and that's going to adjust the time frame. They're wondering, you know, well, no, you said drywall was going to start this day. Well, that was before this thing happened. So I think that's just in our heads. But there's so I think that's one area is how do we get better at at not only planning out that job internally, but communicating that to the to the client and building that trust and transparency. And then I, I think the other thing that we're looking at is right now we have almost a one size fits all approach to our job. So whether it's you know we're replacing a sliding door or we're building a you know $450,000 addition, our steps are all pretty much the same, right? We're doing the same quality checks. We're doing the same autopsies at the end. We're doing the same walkthroughs and it's realizing, okay, there's there's a vast difference in these. So trying to break those down into different tiers and saying, okay, jobs in this tier are going to take a different process through design and through, you know, prep and then in delivery. And, and so I think starting to really dial in, realizing that we've got, you know, a lot of difference in those. And, and I think that's going to be, you know, a focus of our internal process here for the next few years too. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. That's those sound like good steps. And yeah, growth can be enticing, but there's other ways to grow laterally, you know, and I think efficiency and systems and yeah, actually just Michael and I have exchanged some calls and emails over the years, but we just met up at the latest RA <laughs> event. And yeah, I, I like the, the Shout out to Michael. sounds um, good. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I, I mean, honestly, like people are tired. I mean, we've, we, you know, maintenance at our showroom that, you know, sat for a couple of years because we've been so busy. Right. So it'd be nice at some point just to say like, Oh, this, you know, this carpenter's got a week between things. Why don't we, you know, go, repair the trim on the window out front so that when people are walking in our front door, it looks like we know what we're doing sort of thing. So (laughs) it's not, it's not based out of laziness or apathy. It's just, you know, it'd be nice to, to get a little bit of space to kind of refocus, recharge, really dial in what we're doing now and, and get ready for the next phase of growth. So I'm hoping the new normal is just normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of us are. Well, Dan, wrap us up. There's other remodelers listen to this. If you want to leave us with final words of wisdom or one piece of advice, what do you want to leave us with? I guess it would be, you know, my approach has been manage the processes, lead the people and and don't get those confused. And 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 I feel like anytime we've we've had a challenge come our way, if I can look at it in those two lenses, okay, how do I manage the process? So that we, you know, reduce our likelihood of this reoccurring. And then how do I lead the people involved so that I'm not, you know, creating an environment that's, you know, leaving it. I want to be in a, in a space where, you know, it's a learning environment. So manage processes, lead people. I like it. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, Dan, thanks for spending the time and sharing your story with us today. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Spencer. Thanks for tuning in to Remodeler Stories. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Every month we pick a winner and send out a free copy of my book, The Remodeler Marketing Blueprint. Just leave a review over on iTunes to enter to win. See you next time.